get too repetitive here, but this is a song that we're going to sing once again. That uh, back by popular, by popular demand, as we'll say. That uh, seems like we wore it out here recently, but we had some other folks. Please sing this song again. So we're going to hit it one more time. Okay. Do Lord, oh do Lord, oh do remember me. Way beyond the blue. I've got a home in glory land that outshines the sun. I've got a home in glory land that outshines the sun. I've got a home in glory land that outshines the sun. Nobody ever comes to me and says, Preacher, would you please preach that sermon again? <laughs> Nobody ever does that. You have so many <laughs> <laughs> It's already lost. It's just moving on. <laughs> Romans chapter 12, if you'd open your Bibles there, please. I was in the drive-thru the other day at McDonald's, and I happened to notice a poster on the wall behind the young lady that was taking my money. And it was a picture of what a McDonald's employee should look like in their uniform. And there were lines drawn in descriptions. There was a line drawn to the shirt. There was a line drawn to the hat. There was a line drawn to the shoes. And I just noticed it very quickly. Uh, perhaps I noticed things more at McDonald's. I used to work there, be a crew member and a shift manager and all that. But things have changed a lot. But the, this is what a, a McDonald's employee can go and look at that poster. I doubt anybody does. But they can go look at that poster and they can see what the standard is, what they should look like to see if they are properly attired when it comes to being a McDonald's employee. Well, today... In Romans chapter 12, we have a picture of what a Christian should look like. What should characterize us as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we have is really a picture of something that we hear very little about today. We see a picture of holiness. Holiness. 
Now, holiness is, seems to be a forgotten thing in our world today. And sadly, it seems to be a forgotten thing even in the church as well. We, we kind of treat this idea of holiness like we treat the purchase of a new car. And maybe you know when you go and buy a new car that you have the base model, you have the entry level, you have the cheapest vehicle, and then you have upgrades and options. And you pay more, you get more, and you get this or that and the other. Well, we kind of treat salvation like the base model. We get the Lord and we get salvation and we get heaven and we treat holiness like an upgrade. We treat holiness like an option, a bonus, if we want it. Now, beloved, we know that we're saved the moment that we repent of our sin and place our faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, That is the moment where we become a child of God. Our sin is forgiven. We're receiving the imputed righteousness of Christ. But that is not the end of our story. We're to grow from that point onward. We're to grow in grace in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're to grow in our holiness. And let me tell you, that takes time. Remember that song? Take time to be holy. But then the question comes, what exactly is this whole idea of holiness anyway? What is it to be holy? What does holiness mean? I found Chuck Swindoll's comments very interesting. He said, holiness sounds scary. It need not be, but to the average American, it is. Our tendency is to say that holiness is something for the cloistered halls of a monastery. It needs organ music, long prayers and religious sounding chants. It hardly seems appropriate for those in the real world. Author John White seems to agree with that as he wrote in The Fight, the images that came to his mind when he thought about holiness. So here's what John White wrote when he thought about this idea of holiness. Thinness, hallowed eyes, gauntness, beards, sandals, long robes, stone cells, no sex, no jokes, hair shirts. Well, that's just a bad thought right there, isn't it? Hair shirts, frequent cold baths, fasting, hours of prayer, wild rocky deserts, getting up at 4 a.m., clean fingernails, stained glass, self-humiliation. Swindoll said, is that the mental picture you have when you think of holiness? Most do. It's almost as though holiness is the private preserve of an austere group of monks, missionaries, mystics, and martyrs. But nothing could be further from the truth. He concluded by saying, I couldn't be in greater agreement with Chuck Colson's statement in Loving God. Listen, holiness is the everyday business of every Christian. It evidences itself in the decisions we make, the things we do hour by hour and day by day. Listen, beloved, holiness is not an option reserved for a few special select believers. Holiness is for all of us. And when we talk about holiness, what exactly does it mean? How do we define it? It's one of those words where it's kind of hard to get your arms around and really get down. Well, like David Roper's. A definition. He said, holiness is conformity to the character of God. Even simpler, it is being Godlike. To be holy is to be Godlike. God said, be, because I'm holy, uh, you're to be holy. 
He says in the character of God, you, you, see, you see everything you've ever wanted out of life. There is love. There's compassion. There's grace and justice. There's strength, courage, mercy, self-control, poise, power. Everything that we as men and women have ever desired. That is what holiness is. Being like God. And so real simple today. We'll take that as our definition, our understanding, what we're talking about. To be holy is to be like God. But one more very general thought before we jump into our passage. Something I was reminded of this past week and I need to remind you of. We don't measure holiness in terms of minutes and days. We look at it in terms of months and years. What I'm saying is this. When we look at our own lives, we examine our own lives. We don't say, well, am I more holy now than I was five minutes ago? No, we look at five months ago or five years ago. In other words, we're looking at our lives and saying, am I more like the Lord? Am I more Christ-like today than I was last year at this time? Than I was the year before? You see, it takes time for us to develop and grow in our grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And also, we need to remember that it's not perfection that we're after. After all, perfection is impossible here. Now, one day, praise God. We're going to be there practically, literally, positionally in Christ. We're already there. But practically speaking, I mean, doesn't take long. We look at ourselves, realize we're, we're not there. But it's progression. We're progressing and becoming more like the Lord Jesus Christ, more like our Lord. With all that in mind, kind of setting the stage. Today's message is entitled, It's High Time for Holy Living. And our verse here is verse number nine in Romans chapter 12 as we're studying this chapter together. And verse nine shows us some of the elements of holiness. And just as a McDonald's employee can go and look at that poster and see what they're supposed to look like. We come today and we look at this and see where we need to be and see where we are in regards to our own personal holiness. The verse divides itself up really neatly into three points. We'll take those three points as our um, stepping stones today as we study. But look at it with me. Chapter 12, verse 9 of Romans. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. So three things here. As you think about holiness, first of all, as believers, we're to have a love. That is real and genuine. We're to have a love that is real and genuine. Let love be without hypocrisy. God wants our love to be real. He wants it to be genuine. He wants it to be unhypocritical. Now understand the Greek theater didn't have a background or or scenery or even costumes. I'm told that the actors carried masks with them. And the mask had the uh, expressions the audience needed to know what the character was playing. Whether he or she was a, a tragic character or, or a comic or a melodramatic. I think it was only males playing those parts. But tragic, comic or melodramatic. And, and the actor walked around the stage with the mask in his hand. And he would occasionally hold it to his face. And that let the audience know what part he was playing. And what God is saying is, listen, I don't want you carrying masks around. I don't want you just playing a part. I want your love to be real. 
Now, well, we do what the actors do and did back then, don't we? We, we carry those masks around. In certain situations, we get it up and hold it up. We become fake. We, we put on a facade. We put forward a love that is not real. Sometimes it's very evident. Oh, it's all sappy and all. But listen, God wants our love to be real and genuine. You say, well, how can it be anything but uh, hypocritical or a mask or, or a part if I don't feel loving? Maybe here today, if you're honest, don't don't say it out loud. But if you're honest, you say, I, I'm not a loving person. Everybody already knows that. Anyway, so you don't have to say it out loud. But what you're hearing you say, I'm not a loving person. I don't feel loving. Well, you can. Because you have to understand, listen, love is not a mere emotion. Love is a choice. When God commands us to love, it has to be more than a mere emotion. It has to be a choice. I can choose to love. I can choose to act in a loving manner. 1 John 3.18 says, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. If it were just an emotion then how could God command us to do it? You see, the God-like love, agape love, that Jesus kind of love, is the kind of love that we can choose to do. It's a choice we make whether we feel loving or not. Listen, never let emotions, never let emotions become the engine in your life. Think about one of those old steam trains. I like old trains. Think about one of those giant steam engines. On those old trains, you would have the locomotive. You'd have the giant steam engine at the front. And in the back, you had what? The caboose. You had the engine and the caboose. Listen, your choices are the engine. Let the caboose carry your emotions. Don't get that swapped around. If you get the emotions in the engine compartment and the choice in the Caboose, you're in trouble. You've got a mess. What I'm saying is this. What I found is when I choose, when I make the choice to be loving, even when I don't feel like it, you know what I've found is oftentimes the emotions will catch up. I found that so even with regards to many things like coming to church. You ever gotten up and said, I really don't feel like going to church today? I have. <gasps> Yeah. <laughs> Especially on Wednesday night sometimes. I don't feel like coming to church. I mean, it's been a long day. You're like, I know all of you have this. And let's just be honest about it. But you know what I often found is when I make the choice and I choose to come and I choose to do what's right. You know what often happens is those emotions catch up. And by the time I leave, you know what I'm saying? Man, I'm glad I was in church tonight. What a blessing. I'm glad I came today. You see, in the power of the Holy Spirit, you can choose to love. You can choose to demonstrate a genuine, real love. But then we find the next part of the verse, and it seems to kind of whack us in the face because we understand the love part. We're to have a love that's real and genuine, but then we're told to hate. What in the world? Notice the next part of the verse. It says in verse number nine, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. 
So the second thing we need to understand is we need a hatred of what is evil, a hatred for evil. And, and it shows us, beloved, that love is a discerning thing. I understand the great theologian Charles Ryrie in one of his classes one time talked about love and he likened love to a river. And if you've been by a river, you know, there's two sides, there's two banks of a river. And he said the two banks, the two sides of a river, it's bound in there by truth and discernment. So you have the river of love flowing, there's truth and discernment. And he says if either boundary breaks down, the river spills over and you have horrific damage. See, love is discerning. Love is discerning. And, and Paul says here, not just only hate, he says, I want you to abhor what is evil. And so if I'm going to be a loving person, listen, this sounds weird, but if I'm going to be a loving person, there's some things that I'm going to hate. If we're going to be a holy people, and holy means what? Godlike. Then I need to hate sin. I need to hate what God hates. You say, well, God doesn't hate. Listen to these verses. Psalm 97, 10. He tells us, you who love the Lord, hate evil. Listen to Proverbs 8, 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Listen to Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. These six things the Lord hates. Yea, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look is the first one. Now, you and I would put abortion... Homosexuality, incest, all those sorts of things. Those are all awful too. But the very first thing he says I hate is a proud look. The second thing he says is a lying tongue. We talked about the tongue this morning. What a great lesson. You weren't in Sunday school. You should have been. What a great lesson. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift and running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one, listen, one who sows discord among brethren. If you're out and about gossiping and out and about tearing down God's work, God says, I hate that. I hate it. So the question is, do you hate sin? Do you abhor sin? You see, holiness is God-likeness. And if we're going to be God-like, we must hate what God hates. And notice we said that God hates sin. God doesn't hate sinners. God loves sinners. Amen. Because I are one. I are one. Like that? Good theology, bad grammar. And so are you. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God so loved the world, He so loved sinners, He gave His own Son to die in our place. While we're yet in sin, Christ died for us. But listen, we're to hate sin. We're to abhor what is evil. I want you to examine your life for a moment. Be real honest with yourself. And don't answer out loud any of this, but in your own heart. Is your life characterized by holiness and purity? Think about the books and magazines that you read. Think about the TV shows and movies that you watch. Think about the Internet sites that you visit. Think about the music that you listen to. Do those things honor the Lord? Do those things, are they marked by holiness and purity? Do those things help you become more like God? Do they lift you up in holiness or do they tear you down? Uh, Jerry Bridges talked about that many of us, many Christians, have what we call a cultural holiness. 
And so what we do is we look around at the other Christians in our life. And we are as more or less as holy as they are. And so they have some areas that aren't quite right. We, we do as well. But the problem is God didn't call us to look around and be the most holy person in the group. God says, I want you to be holy like me. I'm the standard. Holiness is nothing less, he says, than conformity to the character of God. Parents, let me ask you a moment. What about your children in your home? What are they watching? What are they listening to? What are they filling their minds and hearts with? You say, well, I want them to make their own choices and their own opinions. Well, you better have a lot to say about those choices and opinions from day one. Because just to let them go out in this wicked, evil world and say, okay, you you go and just give them no guidance, no direction would be like taking them to the local dump for supper and dropping them off. Say, okay, Sally, okay, Susie, go in there and dig through all that garbage and find a nice, nutritious, delicious, healthy supper. You'd never do that. Why? Because you'd be exposing them to disease and sickness and danger. And yet if you let them loose in this world. Without guidance, without direction, without boundaries, and just say, okay, go on, enjoy. It's all open to you. Then you're exposed to all kinds of spiritual sickness, danger, and disease. They're going to be exposed to enough in our world without you encouraging them to be exposed to so much more. Lovingly guide them. Lovingly help them. Help them make good choices, godly choices. Give them boundaries. Why? Because real love is discerning. It's discerning. We're to love, but we don't love everything. There's some things we're supposed to hate. And by the way, some Christians, for whatever reason, think they have to know all about evil. I've got to explore all about this. No, you don't. A little naivete is really good. In fact, it's scriptural. Did you know that? Romans 16, 9 says, for your obedience has become known to all. Therefore, I'm glad on your behalf. But I want you, listen, to be wise in what is good and to be simple concerning evil. I don't have to know everything there is about something to know it's wrong. I don't have to know everything about an R-rated movie to know I don't need to watch it. There's, there's common sense. There's, there's the Holy Spirit guiding us. We can look at descriptions, understand there's some things that are all limits for me. He said, now, preacher, wait a minute now. You're getting out of preaching into meddling. Well, you know, I believe that good preaching has a bit of meddling in it. Did you know that? Because <laughs> this is not just theological stuff. They're oh, woo. no. <laughs> this is rubber meets the road kind of stuff where we live. And God says, I want you to hate sin. Love the sinner, but I want you to hate sin. Why? It kills. It destroys. It's wicked. It's evil. And I want you to hate it. I want you to abhor it. And so holiness is characterized by a love that's real and genuine, by a hatred of what is evil. But we're not going to end on a negative. No, no, we're going to end on a positive. Why? Notice the next part of the verse. Cling to what is good. So holy life is going to have about it a holding on to what is good. To cling means the idea to bind to, to, to attach to, to unite to what is good. But here's the question. What is good? Well, what is good is what God says and good, what God calls good. We're not left to wonder. Listen to Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true... 
Whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report. If there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Good. We need to understand that we must make a choice for holiness. We must make a choice for godliness. I like what D.A. Carson wrote. He said, people do not drift toward holiness. He's right. Apart from a grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, obedience to Scripture, faith, delight in the Lord. We drift toward compromise and call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. We drift toward superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch toward prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we've escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. And he's right. We don't accidentally become holy. There's a grace-given choice. There's really a cooperation going on here. We cooperate with the indwelling Holy Spirit in our lives. The Holy Spirit is working and molding us and changing us. And we cooperate with his work and yielding to him and giving submission to him and doing what God has called us to do. We must choose to read God's word. We must choose to pray. We must choose to worship. God doesn't beat you over the head with the Bible, does he? He doesn't wake you up in the morning with the Bible in front of you, does he? You have to make that choice. In the power of the Holy Spirit that I'm going to be in the word today. I'm going to pray today. I'm going to worship today. So there's a cooperation going on, a delicate balance where we are yielding to the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. But we're making choices in God's power to move ourselves into God-likeness. These words are still applicable today. Take time to be holy. Speak off with thy Lord. Abide in him always and feed on his word. Make friends of God's children. Help those who are weak, forgetting in nothing his blessing to seek. Take time to be holy. The world rushes on. Spend much time in secret with Jesus alone. By looking to Jesus, like him thou shalt be. By thy friends and thy conduct, his likeness shall see. Take time to be holy. Let him be thy guide and run not before him, whatever be tied in joy or in sorrow. Still follow thy Lord and looking to Jesus, still trust in his word. Take time to be holy. Be calm in thy soul. Each thought and each motive beneath his control. Thus led by his spirit. To fountains of love, thou soon shall be fitted for service above. Let us pray. While your head is bowed and your eyes are closed, perhaps all of this sounds foreign to you because you've never met the Lord Jesus as Lord and Savior. Today's the day. Turn from your sin and place your faith in Christ. And Christian, perhaps God the Holy Spirit has put his finger on some areas in your life that need to change. Today's the day to make that change and to become more like the Lord Jesus. Now, Father, I thank you for your plain word. I thank you for your holiness. We've already sung about it once. 
Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. Lord, you desire for us to be like you. Help us, Father, to make those grace-driven choices. To choose to cooperate with the Holy Spirit's working in our life. To make those choices that will move us on in Christ's likeness. I pray that you bless this invitation. If anyone here does not know Jesus Christ, you bring them, Lord, and allow us to sit down with the Bible and lead them to the cross. If there are believers here today that you're speaking to their hearts even now about some areas in their life that need to be given up, I pray you'll do that in these next few moments, that they'll come and respond to your working. We love you and we praise you and we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing that song that I just read the words. 446, take time to be holy. The altar is open. If you don't know the Lord Jesus, we invite you today to come. Here's what we're going to do. Simply take you by the hand, welcome you, and place you with someone who loves Jesus and loves you. And they'll sit down with the Bible and lead you to the cross. Just that simple. The majority of today's message was for those of us who know the Lord. And maybe God has spoken to your heart. Maybe there's some things you need to come talk to him about today. We invite you to come as we sing. 446, take time to be holy. Let's stand and sing. Thank you.